In President Trump's recent State of the Union address, he mentioned specifically the high cost of uh, pharmaceutical drugs and medicines. And we started thinking here, well, we have a perfect author to talk about this in response, or maybe because of, of uh, his comments. And that author is Fran Quigley, uh, who recently published for us Prescription for the People, an activist's guide to making medicine affordable for all. Separately to that, I got into a discussion with uh, a colleague of mine at the University of British Columbia Press who mentioned that she too had an author who was talking about these similar issues. Uh, and Sharon Batt is her name, and she's the author of Health Advocacy, Inc., How Pharmaceutical Funding Changed the Breast Cancer Movement. So we started thinking, how can we you know, take advantage of this moment? And so as a result, we're bringing the two of them together uh, Sharon Batt and Fran Quigley to chat today with me a little bit about uh, the cost of health of uh, healthcare in terms of pharmaceutical medicines, uh, President Trump's, Trump's comments, and the way forward. Um, and we will, uh, you know, we're delighted to have that opportunity. So, welcome to eighteen sixty nine Cornell University Press podcast, and let's chat to Sharon and Fran. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. So I throw it out to either, both, however you wish. President Trump said he'd like to bring prescription drug prices down. What are your thoughts? Well, well he, said, he said other things too. He said he wanted to speed access to breakthrough cures and um, give people the right to try. Um, the, the part about bringing prices down, what struck me is he didn't say how he was gonna do that. Uh, yeah, I would just echo Sharon's point. I, mean, I think there's good news and bad news. The good news is that he's, he's him saying he wants to lower prescription drug prices is reflecting the fact that the, the people of uh, the United States are demanding that. You know, Republicans, Democrats, uh, rural, urban, it doesn't matter. People are mad about the, the crazy high prices and they want, they're demanding reform. So he's responding to that. That's the good news. The bad news is, I'm not sure if you can say it on a podcast, but he's full of crap. I mean, he has been saying this since the campaign that he, uh, prescription drug prices are a priority, that he, the pharma industry is getting away with murder. But all he's done is, uh, is, is help the industry. He's brought their leadership in, including most recently the Director of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, a um, former executive Eli Lilly and company where they raised the price of insulin enormous amounts. So, I mean, he's He's not at all sincere about it, unfortunately. And I think Sharon, that's to Sharon's point, is he didn't, he didn't say he's going to do it, how he's going to do it, because he's not going to do it uh, unless we force him. So Sharon, you are sitting north of the border, and um, obviously there's a very different healthcare system. So when you, uh, and you're focusing on, on similar things to Fran in terms of your, uh, your work and your research and your books, but when you hear that as a Canadian or sitting you know, where you are in, in British Columbia, what do you think from, from both what Fran's saying, but also from, you know, uh, President Trump uttering, as, as Fran put it, a load of crap? <laughs> yeah, um, well, it's interesting because we have the same discussion here about high prices of drugs and, and our, our drug prices aren't quite as high as they are in the United States, but I think they are the second highest in the world. They're certainly very high. Um, and uh, we have, a debate going on here. Um, the, the, the government says they're going to bring prices down and 
but then the, there are companies coming back and saying, well, if you, if you bring drug prices down, then there won't be enough money for, um, to invest in innovative medicines and, you know, maybe the industry will leave Canada. And so there's, there's, there's this kind of attention and, and debate, which I think is similar in the United States. Fran? Absolutely. And, and, uh, and again, we, we look to, to you and your, uh, uh, your prescription drug prices up north, Sharon, and recognizing that they're way too high and, and they do represent, you know, profiteering uh, on, on the backs of sick people by corporations that usually didn't actually in, invent this, these medicines. But um, we also look at you with envy because your prices are um, usually so much less than what we pay. Yeah, but but I mean they have they have gone way up, and and I know you pointed out in some of your writing that the um, the trade agreements have have been uh, instrumental in um, bringing prices up in many countries, and, mm -hmm. and certainly the 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 NAFTA and the free trade agreement before it um, totally undermined a good system that we had that that uh, encouraged the development and use of generic drugs. And um, you know that's gone. Um, so we now do have these rising prices. And and what what the focus of my recent book is the way the way so many patient groups have aligned themselves with the drug industry, saying basically we want these drugs. We think they can save our lives. These new very expensive drugs, and the cost should not be um, an issue. And that's something that I find very, um, very uh, unsettling as somebody who's, who's been a cancer patient a couple of times. Um, I think that the patient group should be pushing, I mean, there, there are logical um, uh, advocacy uh, groups for trying to bring down the prices. And so many of them are funded by the drug industry that it's, it's created a very confusing uh, situation. Yeah, Martin, I would just add, I think Sharon's work on, on this is, is so important because that's exactly right. The, the natural leaders of the movement to lower drug prices, uh, I think historically in any kind of human rights movement are, would be the folks who are directly affected, which are the patient groups. And Sharon has, has pointed out in her, uh, in her book and in her in multiple articles that, that the patient groups have largely been co-opted in the last 20 years. Now, the pharma industry responded to the fact that it didn't used to be that way. The HIV AIDS uh, treatment uh, revolution, access to medicines revolution that came enormously effective was by patient groups. And pharma learned the lesson and that they've been buying off patient groups ever since. There, there are some, uh, you know, there's some newer and, and more daring and, and frankly very uh, admirable patient groups who are bucking that trend. But Sharon's 100% right. That's a real, real challenge for, for really making you know, something like President Trump's promise come true is, it, is the kind of social pressure that could come from patient groups, uh, but they, they're not going to do it if their bottom line is funded by the industry that, um, uh, that wants the high prices. Hmm. You know, so this actually segues really neatly into um, a question of the future. So if, if the patient groups would seem to be the most obvious advocates for lower prices and and, and more access, and yet that's not necessarily happening all the time. 
how do we move forward to perhaps get to, as you say, Fran, get to making President Trump, uh, President Trump's promise an actual reality? I mean, either side of the border, internationally, however you guys wish to take that, what is the, the best path? Um, well, I'd be happy to, to start and then and then uh, and Sharon can fix what I what I say wrong. But I think Sharon's uh, work um, along with her colleague, um, Adrian, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce Adrian's, uh, Adrian's last name so you can correct me on that, Chairman, a few Berman at uh, Georgetown. They have actually listed the pharmaceutical, the advocacy groups that don't take pharmaceutical industry money. And unfortunately, there's not enough of them, but they're they're the groups that I think are going to be the leaders, and that includes some really terrific patient groups called uh, Patients for Affordable Drugs, this T1 um, International Type 1 Diabetes Group, uh, patient group, um, uh, Treatment Action Campaign, which helped lead the advocacy in, in South Africa um, on HIV AIDS. I mean, there are a few out there in, in, uh, at, at farmedout.org, is that correct, um, Sharon, yeah. you can find the really the good groups, the groups with integrity, the groups that are going to be the, the leaders of really changing this. They're, they're not going to be the groups that have 80% of their budget funded by pharma. Uh, yeah, I, and I think it's important to point out that, that, there, that there are groups that aren't, pharma, uh, that aren't patient groups, but they're, they're, they're health advocacy mm -hmm. groups um, that, that have many of them a very long history. Uh, like the National Women's Health Network, and uh, oh, what's what's the you know the the group that has um, Ralph Nader groups? Uh, public Citizen, yeah, who does great work. You're right. Uh, public Citizen. I mean, they they've got a critical perspective. Um, they're not anti-drug, but they're they're um, prepared to to critique crit critique the groups. Um, so yeah, I think that those groups are the leaders, but they don't have, they don't have the backing. And and I think, I mean, they, I think that what's what's troubling is that there is this confusion in the dis, in the in the the public um, messages that are going out. You get these contradictory messages that leave the public knowing, not knowing what to think when you've got one patient group saying one thing and, and a bunch of others saying something else. Um, unless people really understand the system of, of how these groups have been co-opted, so many of them, it's, it's really hard for them to figure out why you have this, these contradictory messages. Hmm. Um, so, is, so, I mean, I, I think one of the one of the things I propose is that you know that there have to be other sources of funding. I mean, I do sympathize for 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 many of the groups that I studied. Um, they they started out with great intentions. They were you know true grassroots groups, and then they got cut off at the knees in a lot of ways by um, uh, the you know we had a system where where the federal government and, and provincial governments would support advocacy by groups. Um, that were speaking in the public interest, and that all went by the wayside over the throughout the, you know, the the eighties and the nineties and and since. Um, and the groups really have not very many good options for for raising money. Um, so I think we have to press to have a better system of of funding groups set up. Right. 
So then just to sort of tie this all back to the beginning, if you like, of, of, of this little conversation at least, um, what is next for President Trump if he is interested in doing this? Uh, what, is, what, what really are the next steps uh, for his administration in terms of uh, prescription drug prices and the larger pharma industry perhaps? Um, well, I'll take a stab at the, this, and, and Sharon can uh, can follow up if she wants. But uh, I think there's there's two really uh, uh, possible short terms, uh, really impactful steps he could take, and he could take them right away. Um, the first is that we already do have the rights in our national law and in international law to allow the many, many, many medicines that are so critical uh, to health that have been discovered with uh, government funding. Uh, to have those medicines be available and uh, in a generic cost and generic manufacturing, which can be, you know, 70, 80, 90 percent less than, than what they are now. We have the ability to do that now if our, again, if our president, our administration, that's been Democrats and Republicans, if they've been willing to do it, and they haven't been willing to do it because the pharma industry has been um, pressuring and funding the opposition to that. And the second is that here in the U.S., our, our, we have a Medicare Part D um, a prescription drug program, but we do not uh, negotiate those prices. Again, the pharma industry successfully lobbied to keep that from happening. Uh, that is enormously popular uh, by all kinds of folks, but as you could imagine, especially with seniors, and, and that would, uh, taking that step and establishing a formulary and actually uh, negotiating down the price using that huge bulk purchasing power. It's not the full solution, but those are things that the president, if he really meant to to take a stand and, and take real action. He could do those um, right away. The second one would need congressional approval, but, but allowing generic manufacturing of medicines that are priced too high that were discovered with government uh, research dollars, that, that he can do tomorrow. And Sharon? Yeah, I, 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 I won't add on, on what I think President Trump could do because I, I'm, I'm not as familiar with all the nuances. I, and, I, and I think that uh, Fran has said it very well. But in Canada, we, we're currently right in the middle of a discussion of, of considering um, bringing drugs into the healthcare system as a single payer, um, uh, part of the single payer system. And a lot of people don't realize that, that drugs are not part of that system right now that we have in Canada. This famous single payer system that we have covers um, hospital care and doctor care. And a lot of drugs are not administered in the hospital. Um, so we're trying to change that. And we are getting, um, there's a lot of support for it, especially among academics who've studied it. Um, the, the, but then the drug companies and these patient-funded, uh, pharma-funded patient groups are pushing back. So um, it, it's really up in the air what the, the Trudeau government is going to do. We're hoping that they're going to say, Yes, we have to bring pharma, uh, pharma set up a national pharma care plan, um, which would follow the same kind of lines that that um, Fran outlined uh, that you would have in the states, where there would be um, a strong bargaining position on the part of, of of the the government, because you'd have a national formulary that could set the prices. Hmm. Well, I would say based on this little discussion, based on the fact that it made a uh, direct appearance in the State of the Union and based on the fact that you're having debates uh, at this time up in Canada, 
Sharon, it sounds as though we probably haven't heard the last of this and hopefully not in the sense of uh, being able to find a solution that does bring uh, this part of the cost of healthcare down somewhat. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too, absolutely. Uh, we need to keep pushing. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you both taking uh, a short moment to, um, you know, to, to riff off of those uh, prompts. And uh, yeah, that was really interesting. Thank you both. Thank you, Martin. That was great. Thanks. Well, that was Sharon Batt and Fran Quigley. Sharon is the author of Health Advocacy, Inc., uh, How Pharmaceutical Funding Changed the Breast Cancer Movement. She's an independent scholar and adjunct professor in the Department of Bioethics at Dalhousie University. Um, and Fran Quigley uh, is the author of Prescription for the People, an activist's guide to making medicine affordable for all. Fran is clinical professor and director of the Health and Human Rights Clinic at Indiana University McKinney School of Law. Both their books are available, obviously, for purchase. Uh, we have a discount uh, on the Cornell University Press website uh, for Fran's book to get 30% off. So you can use 09POD for that purpose. And you can visit ubcpress.ca to uh, order Sharon's book and to find out more about their really good list of, uh, of all the books they publish. You've been listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press podcast.